Welcome to The Next Journey, the adventure travel podcast with me, Andrew St. Pierre White. I'm a prisoner of this hill. Welcome everybody to The Next Adventure podcast. I am Andrew St. Pierre White and with me, my special guest from Auckland, New Zealand, of course I am in Perth, Western Australia, is my old school chum, Charles Bradfield. Hello and Charles. Neighbor. I'm glad to say we used to live next door to each other and have many happy memories of all sorts of adventures that we've been on. Um, and that is the purpose. That was why I thought uh, you've got some amazing adventures and, 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 and we went our separate ways with our adventure travel. And I chose one way and you chose another. And what you've accomplished is pretty amazing considering you have big family and a very important job. So I want to share with you some anecdotal stories about our early days when we were still kids, dreaming of the kind of traveling that we wanted to do and the kind of adventures we planned and some of those that we did do. And they were pretty, some of them are pretty bonkers, if you, if you remember correctly. Mm -hmm. So uh, before we get started, I'm going to just uh, thank our sponsors uh, this week. It's Zippo. Did you know that Zippo actually have a line of accessories for adventure travelers? Now, I've used Zippos for years and years and years. In fact, Charles, you will remember on the boat, I would light the little paraffin stove with my little little Zippo lighter that I would mm. flick open and it would, and it would even light in a wind. And I... And, and I it was something ritualistic about a, a Zippo. You, you, it's tactile. You hold it. It's slightly cold in the hand and it has weight. The modern Zippos now, you can take out the insert and put in little uh, uh, butane burners, lighting campfires in a wind with a butane burner. It's a no-brainer. They even have little fire lighters and pouches and i i'm hooked i'm absolutely and i was actually referred to them by um the, the new range of kit by harry from fire to fork thank you harry for introducing me to these lovely pieces of kit so um thank you zippo for supporting this show go and have a look at their kit rice charles talking about zippos and lighting little campfires let's talk i think about i went through my hundreds of photographs that we took on our very, very first boating adventure. This was before we built Longfellow. We'll get to that in a minute. The building of Longfellow. Do you remember our rowboat adventure? I on do. Van I do. And that's actually where it all started. Hmm. The family bought a rowboat and then a little five horsepower seagull outboard. And we did some amazing adventures. Our biggest one. Biggest adventure on that, I'm, I'm sure you remember, Dirk, you, me, and Jonty. Jonty, my brother, Dirk, our good friend, who's a very, very good photographer. We put a spade up in the front of that rowing boat. I think it was a 13 or 14 foot rowing boat. And we had two poles, which we had modified and put into the rollocks, and then put a oar across the top, and we pitched a canvas. We made some masonite tops and we took, we did a number of adventures, but our biggest adventure was a epic trip from Frankfurt to Villiers. And that was planned to be, I think it's about 150 kilometers. 
Now, this was on Voldem, and just for our listeners, Voldem, dam makes it sound small, is actually quite a big piece of water. It's 1,200 kilometers of wetted perimeter, and it covers two 1 in 50,000 topographical maps. It's a very big piece of water. And there are two rivers that lead into that, the Val River and the Volcher River. And our big trip was to go from Frankfurt to Villiers. Now remember, we dropped the boat off and left Dirk and Jonty to take the boat down the rapids to get into the first bit of open water. And we drove to Villiers. We drove to Villiers. Did we hitchhike? We, we hitchhiked hitchhike back. We had to drop the vehicle off and then hitchhike back. That's it right. was dark by the time we got back. We walked in the darkness down by the side of the river looking for the crew. And that was, I don't know, was it a week-long adventure? might have been five or six days. Mm. Um, we carried all our kit. We motored sometimes through the night and sometimes we pulled ashore and slept the night on the shore. I remember the... The worst night, we had really bad weather. We actually, it was unpleasant. We had planned to spend the night on the boat, but we actually pulled that ashore and we actually turned the boat upside down on us. I wonder if you remember that. We could get cover. I do. I do. The, the, boat, the boat was very heavy. Very, it was, <laughs> was heavy? really heavy. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I've actually got a recording. I've just thought of it now. I've still got that recording somewhere. I'm gonna, if I've got it, I will I'll play it now. On the entrance to Valdam, we have just passed a great big clump of trees that uh, once was um, once we saw fish eagles, and we're all rather cold. Charles is bundled up in a whole lot of sacks and anything you care to mention, including wooden lamps and things. Dirk is sitting up with his back to the maiden head, which consists of a spade. And Jonty is sitting staring at a sm- rather smelly paraffin lamp, and I'm sitting near the motor on the bench. But it's under yes. the, the floor. You remember you making that recording? <laughs> I remember that recording, and it became so silly. And we weren't drunk. We weren't pissing ourselves no. up with beer. We weren't at all. And they're starting another recording session. Except now things are the boat's um, upside down. It didn't capsize it, by the way. No, it didn't capsize. Oh, we are out of the water. Are we? The boat's still moving. We were lying under this boat and you kept on saying, I'm scared of this boat. It's going to crush my head like a nut or something like that. Yeah, because there right. was this, this weight yeah. on us and we were huddled, the four of us. Oh, will we ever get comfortable? Uh, well, well, I won't with you there, I promise you. <laughs> I was so, at one point I was actually comfortable. <laughs> One point when I kicked you in the back, it was horrible. Listen, has anybody got an extra life jacket? Because I haven't got one. Are you going to think? I don't want to. Look, look, I just want to get my legs over there. Now listen, boys. Do you realise that I'm, I'm the only person who's not straight? Oh, this year we're going to sleep in the nut bag. If this boat falls, my head's under the seat, and I will end up with a crushed nut. And and Dirk is very tall. He's about fourteen foot long <laughs> when he stretches out. <laughs> Look at this. I, I'm going to sleep outside on the lawn. It's an orgy, man. You see this? Do you imagine an orgy? Let's put it this way. It could be, <laughs> but it isn't. Dirk, it isn't. So he's <laughs> taking up all the space. Yeah. But it was so funny. And then Johnny started singing, and then. 
we slept a bit and then we woke up in the morning and he started singing Morning Has Broken or something. Oh, like yes. That. And we will now have some screams and shouts and a song from our crew. Okay, let, let, we've warmed up for Morning Has Broken. Now let's try it. One, two, three. One. Morning has broken like the first morning. Blackbird has spoken like the first morning. Oh, that's enough of that. He had a good uh, voice, actually, John T. did. He did. I don't think we slept much that no, night. No, Yeah. I think, actually, on our adventures, we don't actually sleep a lot. But that was the very start. I think that was the start of our adventures. You know, and I, and I was thinking, what makes an adventure? It's got to be, oh, I was going to say adventurous. It's got to be daring. It's got to be out there. It's got to be risky. It's got to be into the unknown. It's got to challenge you. And and so that adventure had all those things. Nobody we knew had done it. We took a risk. There weren't proper maps. Had we to had navigate by the we? seat of our pants. Hmm? Mm. We had topographicals, I remember. We'd run, roll them, and then that's all we had. I yep. think we had a compass, a yep. very yep. crude compass. Yeah. Uh, I don't even think it was a prismatic. I, I just remember setting it on the map and kind of turning it around and saying, well, we're heading northeast, which is probably about right. And that was good enough for us. So yeah. we're just carrying going, you know. Yeah. That was, uh, that's our very first adventure. Of course, I must have been 18. Um, you and I would have been 18 at that stage because mm. I drove the family Valiant, one of the most pleasant motor vehicles, three-speed column shift <laughs> manual. <laughs> Yes, the long benches back and front. That's those long benches, right. and you had to, you had to beg your father, please, yes. can I borrow the Valiant? Because it was only only car we had possibly yep. big enough to. That's carry right. You couldn't go on the fork seat. Boat. No, on your Beetle. No, yeah. no, would have been looked quite comical yep. on your Beetle, yep. but no. The other bit was what personally got. Now you used to you had a mirror dinghy, but I did not have a dinghy, and I had asked my uncle who lived in Swaziland, that's Uncle Brian, who is, mm. you know, each one of us have one or two extra father figures who've coached us and inspired us. He's he's my man. He's, he's the uncle that inspired me with all sorts of things. And I said to him, can you teach me how to sail? And I think at that stage that I knew that you had, your family had a a mirror sailing dinghy and I was really yeah. keen and he had a mirror sailing dinghy and he invited me to go to Swaziland because he was a farmer there and I drove with my brother in the Beetle um, down to down to Swaziland and he said don't come to the farm meet me at Big Ben Dam which we did and the wind was blowing 20-25 knots it was a miserable day frankly and the dinghy was all set up, the mirror was all set up on the side, and he said to, I said, well, here we are, Brian. He said, well, hop in. I don't think we even had life jackets, actually. And we got in, and he then pushed us off. <laughs> off we went. I didn't know what I was doing. He just pushed us off. And as we left, and the wind was blowing offshore it just gathered us and we just rapidly left the shore and he shouted don't jibe and i said yeah. 
What's a drive as I pushed the tiller over and the boom came round and bang jaunty on the head and he said, That's a jive. <laughs> we tackled and grappled the ropes and uh, you know, because twenty-five knots is a bit much for a mirror and not being reefed. And we sailed around and made it back and I was hooked. That was it. I had to have a sailing dinghy. That was the start. I was, it was magic. It was this, the wind could take you. You didn't need fuel. It was, it was all free. And I, something twigged in my head. And I, from then onwards, I always wanted to sail. That was it. I had to have a little sailing dinghy. Um, and so that was the next phase of our adventures. And you bought a sprint. That's right. 11 foot 6. Right. It's about the same size as the mirror. So I remember this very clearly because you, you said, I've, I've got a boat, I've got a boat. And I went over and I looked at it and I thought, well, we've got to go sailing. I've got to grab my mirror and you've got it. But trouble is, I didn't really know how to sail. I'd done a bit of it with my dad, but you know, I, I wasn't proficient. And I, so I had to lie to my father. And I went to him and I said to him, Dad, we're going, can I borrow the mirror? He doesn't, you don't know how to sail. What Charles does. Charles is an expert. <laughs> really, he's very, I mean, he's been doing it for years. I lied. <clears throat> and I think he had just been on that one thing in Swaziland. Yeah. So I, we thought, the two of us thought, well, we know enough. We don't know a lot, but we know enough. And we went back to Val Dam and we found, a, we, 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 we cast well, off from the shore. And I've actually got we some just footage. took the mirror dinghy, I think. Or did we take both boats? I, I sprinted uh, on the mirror. I don't know. I, I I don't remember, but maybe it was just the mirror. I'm not sure. But that was when you and I actually learned how to sail. When we were sitting together on the boat and kind of pulling this and pushing that, and oh, look what happens! Yeah. And we, we learned. We taught ourselves. Yeah, that's exactly right. But we started doing some epic trips, and they would also be four or five days. We'd pile all our kit in the in the dinghies, um, and then we learned to tie them on. That's we, right. we did the same trip that we had done in the right. rowing boat, but we did it in the two dinghies. That's exactly right. That's exactly what we did. And we put our camping kit in and we'd pull off to the shore at night because we didn't have permission to camp. So we would set camp after dark and then make sure that we struck camp. And I remember Jonty with a little paraffin primus one of my father's i've still got it actually i love it okay. it's such a beautiful pump. it's exactly right and we used to he used to cook these wonderful meals holding the paraffin primus in his feet and he would make them in the pan and it might be toasted cheeses or whatever it was and then we'd sail up and hand off a plate um it was it was just fantastic. We had just so much fun. The world's best toasted cheeses was Jonty on that boat. Yeah, <clears throat> he was. Nobody's ever come close. No, and he is a master at one pot cooking. Yes, absolutely. I remember us planning the trip, and we said to each other, "As long as we don't hit a storm here, we'll be okay." And that was the long reach to Oranyaville. Uh, there was a very long stretch. We said often go to a farm, didn't we? we and we would a camp on the side of that and then go sailing yes but i'm talking about that long trip that we did those five or six days yes. on the sailing boat because i remember 
are saying, as long as we don't hit a storm there, we'll be okay. And we did hit a storm there was the afternoon thunderstorm. And I remember you capsized. Yeah. And I remember you writing the boat and there were the, all these and there were all these ropes. <laughs> I remember it so funny. There were all of these like twelve ropes <laughs> hanging into the water. So I came up to you and the wind was howling like you know like this. And you started pulling up the ropes. Six pack. <laughs> six pack. Water. Sleeping bag. One, one six pack after the other. <laughs> and I thought this is a comic moment just because you probably didn't even bother tying up the food, but the beers, you were properly, they were properly tied up. I don't think we lost anything, actually. I think we actually saved everything. I, I don't think you lost anything at all, but you went completely tur turtle. You went completely yeah. upside down Yeah. and then came back up. Um, I don't think I, I don't think I capsized. On, I, I don't remember, but anyway, I just remember your sight of your boat going over. I came up, you came over and you pulled up all the beers. I do, I do remember that was that. a great moment. I remember we pulled ashore and we tried to make a fire to dry ourselves off on that night. And then there was a camp further down the road. They, a bunch of Afrikaners who were had parked their caravans in a lager. And they asked if we would like to dry our clothes at their fire, which... We were wet and miserable, actually, at that stage, and so we accepted. And they were unbelievably polite and nice to us. They um, they dried our clothes. They found out what we brought. They cooked our meal for us. And, and we had a very, very pleasant evening chatting to them. It was actually, you know, a whole adventure in its own right, that little serendipitous meeting of them. And, and they thought, of course, we were fruitcakes, and they probably weren't wrong. <laughs> it was crazy. So that total distance, what would that sailing distance be? And given that the the lake itself is 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 very odd shaped, it's you know it's not long and thin or wide and fat. It's it's what was the would you say the distance? So the we had distance to... between the two towns is 150 k's, but I don't think we actually travelled that. We we because we wouldn't have taken the sailing boats down the rapids. Um, and yeah. I seem to think that we terminated the trip a little early before Villiers. We didn't actually sail down to Villiers because later on, Mark and myself took the dinghy to try and sail that last portion that we hadn't sailed. Okay. Um, and I, I think, I, was it Pennant Nine Yacht Club? There was a yacht club um, hmm. that we actually, I remember visiting it and, and we visited later actually on Longfellow and we, and we sailed the yacht. But this is a good time to introduce Longfellow because we had done <clears throat> the rowing boat, we had done the dinghies, but now we decided, okay, we wanted to do something a little bit more ambitious. We needed a bigger boat. How to how to build a bigger boat? Now, we, we were, you guys were students. I was in my first job. We were probably 19 or 20 years old. Yeah. But we decided, well, that wasn't going to stop us. And you found a, a, a boat that had been used as a plug it for a mold to build caprice yeah uh sailing and that was 20 foot 21 foot no it was, it was 19 foot was it 19 okay mm. so it was okay only slightly longer than your dinghy yeah so um it, tell us a bit about that was on a lawn in mm. Bryanston, and we often drove past this teacher's house and he had to make extra money he had taken off the bilge keels off it was a wooden hard chine vessel and he had molded a uh, a center keel, and then he'd use it as a plug, and it was just rotting. 
and it was pretty rotten, I've got to tell you. And we often said to him, don't you want to sell it? And he wanted some stupid amount of money. And we, I said, silly, we're students, man. We can't. And then one day he phoned up and he said, do you still want the boat? We said, yes. He said, you can have it for 150 rand if you remove it this week. And so that's what we did. We borrowed the Valiant, <laughs> brought this boat home. My parents were, they couldn't believe what we brought home that was rotten. And I was given um, four months for the project, four months. Okay, you can have it at home for four months and it must be gone by four months. And of course, we started to replace rotten stuff and eventually fiberglass it and had to make the keels and it had nothing. We made the mast, we made absolutely everything on that boat. And it took four and a half years, actually. Four and a half years of innovative stuff because the total project cost, including the cost of the hull and the road trailer was 2,000 Rand. We made everything. We welded every piece of steel. Every pulley on that boat was turned on a lathe. Every fitting was either turned on the lathe or welded up with mild steel and then either hot tip galvanized or electroplated galvanized. We had zinc cyanide, enough to kill half of Johannesburg actually at home and we would electroplate it at night. We even made the paraffin primer stove ourselves. The outboard, we found a underwater gear on a junk heap, which we took home and fixed up. And then we fixed up an old Briggs and Stratton four-stroke lawnmower engine, which we attached to this. So we had a four-stroke outboard <laughs> that we had made. That was pretty advanced. <laughs> you didn't get four-stroke outboards in those days. It was great. We did nothing else but build that boat. Everybody who came to visit knew that we were on the on on the bones of our ass, so to speak. Guys would come around with beers and your dirty clothes. And initially the boat was upside down as we sorted out the hull and then we turned it over the right way. My dad made a lean-to. Do you remember casting the concrete floor of that lean-to? I don't remember that, no. of flooring. It was part of the deal. My dad said, if you can still keep the boat here, I'll make a lean-to for it. But you've got to, which he would later turn into a workshop. And so we cast an industrial floor, which I hand mixed that concrete with. I've not forgotten how hard that was, 60 square meters of floor. And that became the place. And, and with the lean-to that allowed us to jig up the pulleys to turn the boat over, we made tools to an ads that my uncle made for me so that I could carve out the um, the wooden bits for the keels because they all had negative shapes on them, which I couldn't use the plane for. We made everything. We, My brother and I went to um, old houses that they were breaking down and liberated the Maranti frames from the door frames, which we took home and hand cut in with a, with a handsaw because uh, we didn't even have a jigsaw. And then we were able to laminate those into beams and and uh, replace the beams inside, because effect effectively the boat was rotten. We replaced everything. What was that? How long was that process to make, to build it from delivery to... Four and a half oh, years. It was four and a half four years. Half. I know. I was at uni. I missed many lectures building. I was a bad, a bad student, actually. I, I remember 
the beers. Yeah. So we would we would work really hard. We would spend the whole Saturday just really just just getting stuff done. And then because we had a reward and the reward was Sleepy Hollow Hotel. That's right. And the bar of Sleepy Hollow was our reward. It was like this this whip, this silent whip that got us going. That's why it took us four years. Maybe it actually slowed us down. I don't know. But oh, uh, I've discovered that actually boat building is a slow process. Nothing happens fast when you build a boat. But it taught hmm. me a lot of lessons. One of them is you don't want to build a boat. Go buy a boat and go sailing. <laughs> it takes too long to build the damn thing. But it gave me lots of insight. And I was inspired by my uncle. There's a, there's a corollary, a side story to this. Because my uncle told me about a guy that he had met called Johnny Ray. I know him. New Zealander. He'd met him in New Zealand. And he was a man that built his own boat during the uh, Depression after the uh, First World War. And actually ended up sailing it. And then a lady by the name of Lewis, I can't remember, was it Jenny Lewis? can't remember her first name. And her son sailed that same boat around the world. And that boat was handmade. And he made everything on that boat. And his little view to me, because I said to him, I, I want a yacht, but I can't afford a yacht. And he said, you, if you're prepared to do it, you don't need stainless steel fittings. You can make everything. There's nothing that you can't do. And that was the inspiration to get up and just make everything. And so for 2,000 Rand, which today would be $2,000, it's not a lot of money. We completed a whole boat. That includes masts, sails, trailer, the works burger on that boat. And we did all sorts of innovative things. We, we used the sails from Flying Dutchman, which was over-rigged for the boat. But it meant, because it's an Olympic-class sailing dinghy, we bought a full suit of sails for 70 rand. Full suit of sails. We went into Hewlett's Aluminium and, and went to talk to them about masts, and we'd taken pictures of the boat. And the guys at Hewlett's in Johannesburg, which is an enormous company, looked at my brother and I could see that we were clearly not made of money. He said to me, look, I'm going to give you a sample. I said, oh, well, that would be great. We can work on a sample. That, that would be great. And it was a full-size mast. <laughs> and he said, put that on the car and don't turn around. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, it oh, was nice. fantastic. Because the, the boom was a laser mast. Yes. Yes, it was. It was, a, it was a, a used, overused, discarded laser mast that had a bend in it. Yes. That's quite but, right. Yeah. Yeah, it was fine. A bit of a bend in it, so what? Yeah. yeah. So so those were the lessons. And, of course, I didn't have any formal education apart from the push-off that my uncle had given us and then all the experience that you and I had had sailing the dinghies. And I'm, to this day, I'm still self-taught. I've, uh, it's what I've read. And, and so... I've joined the, there's two classes of sailors. There's wise sailors and experienced sailors. And I choose, I'm in the second class. I've, I've, I'm only wise because I've made all the mistakes. There isn't any mistake that I haven't made. And so I'm now an experienced sailor. I'm not a wise sailor. If I was a wise sailor, I would have gone on sailing courses and I would have learnt and avoided most of the pitfalls that I've encountered in my life. But that's been part of the adventure. 
I remember very clearly that day, that celebrated day after four day, four years of launching uh, Longfellow. We called it Longfellow. We all liked Neil Diamond. That's right. And we called it a Longfellow Serenade. So we called it Longfellow and we launched it on Valdam. You insisted on reversing. Now, you, you said, oh, don't worry. I, I know how to reverse. Well, turns out with a trailer. Turns out you didn't. No. Nobody did. No. None of us. <laughs> don't worry. But you wanted to do it. And I said, well, fine. You, you, you go and make a fool of yourself. Yeah. Because it's either you're going to make a fool of yourself. Yeah, or I think I'm I, going to make I had the water halfway up your front door of your Range Rover. Oh, it filled up with water. The Range Rover filled up with water, but we got the boat in. Yeah, we got the boat in. We floated it off the trailer, and then we stacked it full of beers, and then we did our 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 first trip. Our first, um, well, I think yeah. we did two or three, in, you know, early trips, test trips, yeah. and then fiddling and adding a few things. Yeah. And then, of course, a year or so after the maiden voyage. We decided to do that same Frankfurt to Villiers trip, yeah. but this time we had to sail all the way up to Frankfurt, go all the way back yeah. to Villiers, and then come all the way back to our yeah. launch point. That was one of the greatest adventures of my life. That, that trip. because we sailed at night, we sailed day and night. We we had a paraffin, a hurricane lamp. Do you remember that? Which produced a reflector from a heater a parabolic reflector which we strapped on the front and we had some magic sails in the evening as we just ghosted down um, the river with just a wisp of breeze well here we are on the 2nd of april uh, exactly a year from longfellow's maiden voyage we've passed through to Aylant and are heading for aranyaville uh, should reach there sometime fairly late tonight maybe nine o'clock or so and it's a wonderful evening the wind's just blowing nicely and uh, I think we're going to be in for a great evening. Bottoms up, folks. I don't drink it. <laughs> it was some magic days. I used to also then, even then, capture uh, stories. Then I was doing it on Super 8, and there's a shot of my... I had a, I had a company BMW 518, and we're offloading beers. This is staying yeah. 12 feet high. And we... We then we, we set off, and I remember there was one occasion where we, we would we would go night day night day night day because the, the wind weren't, wasn't particularly favourable, so we had to get distance, sail at night, which was treacherous, well not treacherous, dangerous, but difficult on Valdam because of the, the mud banks. So you had to you know be quite accurate in sailing in the middle of the channels, and if you didn't, you would wander, and then you know, get caught in a mud bank. And the, the, this this thing had bilge keels. Yeah. For those of you who don't know what a bilge keel is, these are two keels on the side as opposed to a center keel down the middle. But it means that if you run aground, the, the, the boat stays stable. So you don't actually, sometimes if you're going very slowly, you don't know if you've run aground. And there was one occasion where I had, I had been sailing with, uh, with, with John T. With you and I, no, it was you and I that had been sailing, and then we left Jonty and Mark. That's, oh, that's right. You and I said, okay, that's right. We, We'd make dinner. We, we yes that is right and then i remember lying in this sleeping bag and i could see the opening i could see the stars and everything and there's mark and mark and and, and john's pulling the thing and trimming it and chatting and pulling it and it's beautiful i mean it's a wonderful scene it's an idyllic scene so i remember after quite a long time the star constellation that i'd been studying hadn't moved one bit <laughs> they had been gently tweaking yeah. the boat that had actually run firmly aground and was dead still in yeah. the water. 
and we, we just think it was the funniest thing in the world yeah, we because they tried so How many hard. hours on a sandbank? It's morning, or is it? I've heard. It's been going all night. Andrew and I have taken a first shift last night until 3 a.m. this morning, where Charles and Mark dutifully took over. It took them half an hour to get up, which is just normal. And uh, half an hour after that, they ran us aground and smashed the spring on the propeller. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. Just <laughs> really focused. You know, the boat was awesome from that point of view because she would sail in less than two foot of water. Yes. So uh, we we were able to go where nobody else's yacht could go. We, that even helped us rescue another boat that had got caught. I don't know if you remember a vivacity that had got caught near Rota Eiland on a mud bank. And we came up to help them and we towed them off that mud bank. And then I can remember the guy saying, how come your outboard sounds like a lawnmower? <laughs> and I said, because it is. It is. <laughs> and they felt quite humiliated to have been towed off a mud bank by this funny looking boat. <laughs> With a lawnmower. lawnmower for an outboard. Um, <laughs> but that was one of our little highlights, just because it was a bilge killer and we could go anywhere we liked. And so we didn't take a dinghy. We always just pulled her into shore and, and jumped, jumped off. off. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We figured the dinghy would slow us down too much, so uh, yeah. we just didn't bother. Yeah. All right. We're in fact just leaving Aranyaville after arriving here sort of around about two or three in the afternoon. Um, we sailed most of the night from uh, Frankfurt. We weren't able to get up to Frankfurt proper because of the rapids. So we came down from Frankfurt through the night and we stopped somewhere around about two o'clock in the morning. Uh, and word for the night and continued sailing at eight o'clock this morning. And we've been under motor most part of the day because of the narrows and because of the poor wind conditions. But at the moment we under sail, no motor, we're just carrying out repairs on the motor. And I remember pulling off at uh, some place, there was, a, there was a, a, camp, a camp and there was some public toilets. And we, <laughs> this is a very funny moment where you were on the, and again, filming it on the Super 8. You... I, I remember the piles of old wood broken old trees and i think mm. that we went behind those trees to do yeah you're right uh, anyway it's it's the, the memory is fading but i remember you thrusting this uh, i've got a bit of clip footage i'll put it in here but for the podcast it's a little bit difficult because it's quite visual but anyway you say to me there you go my boy <laughs> go and give your go and donate your daily six inches such a pleasure there we are you go and give your daily six inches boy that's why I do this, was that. The, this was the theme of the trip, of yeah. course, with young boys. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it was. It was. Story. It was a great trip. It was a great trip, yeah. and 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 you know that was the start of many good trips for me from a sailing point of view. Because of course you went on to four by four, and and yeah. Jonty went off into running his business, and yeah. and and and. But girls got in the way because I remember very clearly yeah. we would go out with the with a sailing boat because I had a laser. Of course, we had the the Longfellow, and um, we would we would set ourselves up and say, "Okay, Sunday, who's going? We're we going sailing. Are we going sailing?" And eventually, it was no, because girls started getting in the way. And, and I thought, and, and I think you were the you were the worst of them. Because well, you were the start of it. You, you you were the first one to say, "I'm not going sailing this Sunday." What's the matter with you? Yeah, you know, are you ill? <laughs> well, no, actually, she's quite nice, so <laughs> I'd rather spend time with her than you. I know, which was completely understandable. But and I decided one day, 
uh, I called you guys up and you were all doing other things. You weren't going to go sailing. And then I took up uh, flying gliders because four drive was also something that I obviously did. And then you went on your own sailing adventure, mainly after you had moved from South Africa to New Zealand. So I know you've had some amazing things, but you have another big story that I think we're going to leave for another podcast that I want to I want to share with you, uh, share with our, our audience an, an incredible adventure, an incredible story. But I want, can you take me up to that point? What was your, how did it evolve? How did your ocean sailing evolve once you had left South Africa? So I came to New Zealand and I wasn't a specialist anaesthetist. I was a GP anaesthetist. And New Zealand doesn't like GP anaesthetists. And I couldn't get the kind of job I wanted. So I joined the training circuit and spent five years, redid my primary exams and my final exams, worked quite hard, actually. And I've got to say that by the time I did my final exams, I already had five children. It was one of the toughest times of my life. We didn't have a boat. I used to go out on weekends and go for a walk to a place which in Auckland is North Head and which would look over the Gulf the Haraki Gulf and look at the boats and promise myself that one day I would have a boat. And there's a long story as to how we got our boat, but I was lent a boat for a year, a 45 foot, 47 foot uh, steel hull, 27 ton ocean going, very old uh, Dutch sailing vessel from a complete stranger who'd heard of me. And he had asked if I would look after the boat as he went to Australia. And I'd only spoken to him on the phone. He had attempted to sell me the boat. I said, oh, look, I, if I bought the boat, I couldn't afford to maintain it. I don't have enough money to maintain a vessel of this size. And he said, look, if you will just look after it for me and show people around if they're interested to buy it, you may have free use of the boat. We then had some marvellous adventures. Our first sail was a night sail out of Auckland up to Kawa Island. And that's pretty daunting without proper navigation equipment. That was just with a prismatic compass um, and some charts. And, and that was with a friend and my family and kids. And we went to Kawa Island and then off to Great Barrier Island. So that's an adventurous trip for a family for their first sailing trip. And that started a whole new phase for us. So we had that boat for a year. I did manage to have a big accident where I bumped into another vessel. That was a very humiliating thing because this 27-ton steel hull boat had a tiny little scratch on the prow and demolished the other vessel that I bumped into. I had a reputation in that uh, marina. When I came in and the weather was... <sighs> unfavorable. The marina residents would turn out to come and help me get my boat into the marina rather than have me sail in on my own. They were, <laughs> I found that very humiliating. But anyway, that was the that was the start. Now, I eventually sailed that boat to Australia for the owner. Not only did I sail it to Australia, but I then got off the boat and went to a job interview and that got me a job in Australia. I still remember at the job interview when they asked me, how was the flight? And I said, oh, no, I didn't fly. I sailed here. They're right, of course. <laughs> no, no, I did. <laughs> it was. So that was, and it, and 
and I didn't realize it at the time, but if you if you have an adventurous spirit, it helps you with job interviews. You get a bit of kudos for having that kind of background. And we had a wonderful year as a family uh, living and working in Brisbane. And then we bought a Lotus 9.2. And that was our family sailing vessel. We had six kids. We sailed up and down. We would take a month holiday. Now, a Lotus is... 9.2 meters. It's not very big. It's just under 30 foot. And we would pile all eight of us and go away for a month. And we just had adventure after adventure. It was fantastic until eventually my eldest son said one day, I'm just not going with you again. It's just too cramped on board. And and then we bought, we sold that boat and we bought a, a um, Chico, a Chico 40 foot. And, and that is the subject of another adventure which involved our first offshore sailing trip. And I will talk to you later about that because that adventure has the many little iterations, which I haven't even told you, Andrew. That adventure has finally had its final chapter, and I'll explain that the next time that we have a chat. Okay, I, I'm looking forward to that because I know it was a big, it was a, it was a, we had heard about it when it was happening and it was we had we were kind of we were terrified for you guys because you know the sporadic information and you were in danger and etc cetera, etc cetera. so we're going to leave that for another yes. so um yes. make sure you subscribe to the, <laughs> the next journey podcast ne nearly losing our lives and losing the I, boat at sea and, yes and so um a very very big dynamic adventure with mm -hmm. lots of issues um yeah and yeah. the I received an email, which at the end of our little chat here, Andrew, and I'll I'll get it for the podcast. Um, um, I will I'll read it out to you. I'll read it. It sounds like a phishing email. Um, I'll I'll read it to you, and and that's the culmination of this whole thing. It's it's sealed this whole chapter on on the adventures of two thousand and nine. I get this email. Good morning, Charles. I'm Lieutenant Commander Matthias Weingart, current and last commanding officer of the French Navy ship Le Glorious. It's a pleasure to write you this email to inform you of a unique opportunity to possibly meet in Numea next month. So I got that 17th of April. And, it's, and then it goes on and says, as you may not know, the patrol group boat um, Le Glorious is to be retired from active duty on the 9th of May. And on this occasion, the patrol boat will carry out one last trip at sea on Sunday, May the 7th in the morning. This boat, which has been sailing the South Pacific for the last 30 years, is not unknown to you since she participated in the rescue of your family in 2009. In souvenir of this extraordinary achievement, it would be a pleasure to have you on board on this last journey of the glorious around Numea. It's a French Navy tradition to have a last patrol of a boat on the eve to be retired from active duty. Some of the previous commanding officers of the glorious are expected to be present on this day including Commander Numa Dubek, who was commanding in 2009. Be a great opportunity to gather your family and Numa on board the Glorious. Um, warm regards, Lieutenant Commander Matthias Weingart. And I did actually attend that. My family couldn't make it. They were visiting family overseas, but I actually got somebody to do a locum for me last minute um, and went there and had a fantastic time and reliving this um the original commanding officer and one crew member joshua who was the 
the chef on board happened to be again on that boat when and so he remembered from that time and and this uh rescue is actually recorded in the logbooks of the boat etc and in fact in there they produce for every commanding officer a a color book of all the adventures that the boat had been on and there's a few pages devoted to the rescue and us and mentioned as a family so it's quite a big deal and they had on board that boat they had the head of security for um, uh, new caledonia who was a two-star um general who is a is a uh, legionnaire so you know the little square cap etc and a four-star admiral from the french uh fleet in the pacific both of whom knew my story and and actually spoke very good English and chatted to me and I was the guest of honor on board and it was fantastic. I had a wonderful trip and was treated really nicely and then um, a lunch and then a, as only the Navy can do and then a lovely uh, cocktail party in the evening. I was exhausted by the end of it. But anyway, it was a fantastic trip and that's it kind of culminated the closure of this adventure because we've been on other family adventures since then. But this whole thing is closed that little sequence of events of all, all closed yeah it's um, closed so yes. it was pretty awesome actually that's um, wonderful mm. i had a lump in my throat just listen just reading listening to that letter being read it's kind <laughs> of i was like wow you know it's like but i understand what you say when you, it's closure it's it's yeah it's it, is. The it was the final of, chapter of that book mm. yeah mm. so we will get together soon and uh, we will. Uh, I, I want to hear that story firsthand from you. And uh, we spoke when I visited you in '19. We we spoke very briefly about it, and I thought there must be more. So it's uh, such a nice opportunity to chat to you again now. Yeah, lot, lots of things happened. The uh, that skip of that boat when because we got another boat. We we subsequently other boat we've sailed to Fiji and and um, uh, Vanuatu and New Caledonia, circumnavigated New Zealand, been down to Stewart Island, been down to the Auckland um, subantarctic islands, the New Zealand subantarctic islands. So I've done quite a few adventures subsequent to that. But when I went to Vanuatu, I sent my family home and I had to sail the boat to Numea and leave it there for two months to come back and work and then come back and finish our adventures and then sail the boat back to New Zealand. Numa Dubek, that commanding officer, he flew to Vanuatu and sailed the boat back with me as, <laughs> as a, if you like, a voting confidence in me as a skipper. It was, it was quite an amazing thing to have him show that confidence. I, I had been, you know, on his boat and had confidence in him. And he flew over and crewed on my boat as I sailed. And he said, I would like to show you my Numea. He was then the um, military attache for Numea at that time. Wonderful Part story. Part of that, that story, that, story. That, <clears throat> that adventure, it, it all pieces together. I'd like to wrap this up with your circumnavigation of New Zealand with your son, just the two of you. And I remember following you on the, the little plotter, because I use one of those yeah. on my wild expeditions, the little yellow brick plotter. And yeah. I was following you live 
to see where you were. And there was a, it was a race, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It tell me about that. And, dot race. And, and tell me about that. And tell me about the interaction between you and your son and the relationship between you and your son in that very demanding environment. Yeah. Give me some insights into that. I tell you what, that was, that was, that was truly amazing. Firstly, the previous race to that was around North Island and they wouldn't allow my son to enter because he wasn't 18. He was 16 at the time. And they had said to him, it's, there's a very high chance of death. And we would, wouldn't like a young man to see his father die. And so uh, we, the race committee wouldn't actually allow him. They had a special meeting and they wouldn't actually bend the rules to allow him to race. So he was just 18 and he was able, and he was the youngest person to do that race. And, and, and that's a very prestigious race. It's been done by very few people. It's a very, very demanding race. It was done in four legs. Um, the first leg was Auckland to Manganui, which is just towards the top of the North Island. And then this massive leg from the top all the way down the West Coast, all the way down to Stewart Island. And that was an epic trip. Now, two-handed sailing, there's not much company with that because one of you is sleeping and the other one is on the helm managing the boat. It's hard, hard work. And we had two big storms, which nearly uh, had a loss of boat and nearly lost two lives on that boat. They were able to self-rescue and, and that is a whole other story for them. And then there was a second storm, um, which turned out to be, uh, when I say storm, not a gale, a proper meteorological storm with winds of 70 knots as we were going down the South Island. We had a day before that torn our whole mainsail full length down the mainsail. We both sat on deck. I still remember in our underpants, we had we had put up a trysail during that little storm that we had. The winds were only about 35, 40 knots. And then we'd, we were sailing with the trysail up and the, and the, the main headsail, and we hand-stitched our main. It took us nearly eight and a half hours of continuous stitching to stitch up the mainsail so we had a sail again that we could continue sailing with. And then we hit this big storm and we were the third boat in. We were ridiculed because our boat is not a real racing boat. It's actually a cruising boat. And we were ridiculed by a number of other racing boats for undertaking this race um, with the vessel that we were in. And I can still remember because we were, we had to wait five days for the rest of the crew to come in. They, they got... They sought shelter elsewhere um, and then before continuing the race. And I can remember um, a few of those skippers coming to me and actually apologizing and said, we take back everything that we said about you. It was pretty awesome. Actually. And, and my son got a, a, a special prize for uh, being the youngest crew member to have ever done that ever done that race and and you can imagine so that's one month of sailing firstly you make quite a bond between you and the other teams and and of course Matthew and I um, who's my second eldest son we cemented a very very powerful relationship totally because here's the you you're totally codependent your life depends on the courage and competency of that other person 
and 17 knots is not to be trifled with. That's an unusual bit of weather. And I have to admit, it's the first time in my life that I've ever thought, oh, I could be at work and maybe that might be better. <laughs> the first time in my life where I've actually thought, you know, work's not such a bad thing. <laughs> it oh. sounds like the adage in, in, in flying, never be in an airplane wishing you were on the ground. Yeah. And it's happened to me twice. And it's not a nice place to be. No, it's not. It, it, you know, it's just, yeah, work is actually okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and, of course, this is where your ultimate learnings of self-reliance actually come from because you can't get off. You can't mm. stop. You have yes. to solve those problems. Whatever yeah. problems come your way, yeah. you have to solve them. It's a, it's a complete focused thing. That I that I found in those situations, I would every every cell of your body and your brain and everything, you're focused, clear. The world almost slows down for me slightly. Yeah. In that certain things, do this. What if I do this? If, uh, if I do this, then that, that. Okay. If I do that, actually, that's better because, and you. But you you do it really fast. But you do do it, and then yeah. you, and then you act, and then then you, and it's afterwards. Only then afterwards does the adrenaline pump in, come in and say. Hell, that was close. Yeah. I won't be doing that again because that was stupid. But you're talking about wise and experience. Where right. do you get the wisdom from? Yeah. Well, it's the first time in my life that I've ever put up a trisail in anger. I've never had to do that. You read lots of stories about people putting up trisails. Let's take the main down, strap the boom down, and you put yeah. up this little triangular sail yeah. off the off the mast. And it's, yes. you know, a third of the size of your main. Yes. And it's... And it just allows you to keep steerage, doesn't it? Well, no, our boat was doing 10 knots. Let me tell you, we're going hell for it. <laughs> on, a, on a handkerchief. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it does. It, it gives you steerage and control over the vessel so mm. you don't flounder. Mm. Um, no, but we were moving. We were really moving. Yeah. Sure. Well... Anyway, <laughs> exciting stuff. And uh, the auto helm wouldn't work under those conditions. We, we, we both remained on deck, um, fully clothed, and um, we could only manage the helm thirty minutes on and then thirty minutes off because it was hard work steering and and managing the waves and preventing yourself from being broached. It was mm. just hard work, and it was all survival. It was all about surviving. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, everybody, thank you, Charles. Um, I'm going to wrap it up now. Talking about survival, the next time you come on, you're going to talk about a survival, an epic survival story, yeah. and uh, we'll we'll bring you on again. Uh, cool, Charles in Auckland. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure, and actually remembering some of those times that we had on on Longfellow and on the rowing boat it was a brilliant introduction to my adventure story. It was fantastic chatting yeah. about it. It was the start for all of us, actually. All of us mm -hmm. went on to have adventures. They weren't all mm -hmm. in the same direction, but we've all yeah. managed to make sure that adventure is part of our lexicon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for those watching for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Cheers, mate. Have a good day. Thank you so much for listening to the Next Adventure podcast with me, Andrew St. Pierre White. To find out more information, check out 
thenextjourney.net. Join us each Sunday 